Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. That's probably a good percentage. We'll try it again. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. There we go. I think that was 100%. Amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated just for a moment. Um, again, what a privilege it is to be back here with you um, on a Wednesday night. Amen. Uh, I know, you know, Pastor told me, Pastor Hood told me beforehand that there would be um, some people listening online uh, tonight. You, you guys live stream? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. So there'll be some people listening online uh, because they are sick, unfortunately. And so uh, we want to continue, obviously, praying for them and uh, believing they'll be back healthy in the house of God on Sunday. Amen. So for those of us that are here tonight, we're just going to do our thing uh, between ourselves. We're just going to have a good time in God and have a good time in His Word just with us. Amen. So I'm glad we get to be together tonight and worship God together. Thank you, Brother Jonathan, for leading us in worship. Amen. What a tremendous uh, spirit of worship, anointing, and passion. Amen. And I'm, I'm glad he kept singing that second song because I feel like the more he sang it, the more we just got a little more, a little more loose and a little more focused on God. Amen. And sometimes, especially on a midweek or a tough week, we can come to the house of God and it's easy uh, for the best of us to come into the house of God kind of just a little weary, uh, sometimes a little bit down and out, sometimes a little bit bothered. Maybe some things happen Monday and Tuesday. Maybe your work is just starting to wear on you, whatever it might be. And so sometimes we've got to come to the house of God, and that's why the worship service is so important. So that's why I appreciate what you did. Sometimes it's so important to just raise our hands when we're feeling tired, when we're feeling exhausted and discouraged, and just, just let the weights just fall off, just kind of let our eyes be open, let the chains fall, and we might still be physically tired, but we can leave the house of God with spiritual strength. Amen. Even if our body is tired, we can still leave the house of God with peace and, and, and with strength in our spirit. Amen. And I believe that's what God wants to do tonight. Amen. So for those of us that are here and for those of us that are faithfully listening online, amen, I believe God has a word for you and for us here tonight. Amen. So I do want to turn to the word of the Lord. Um, uh, we are going to read uh, Acts 17 and 28 first. And uh, I'll give the media team time to do this, uh, if it's possible, or if it's, if it, ah, we can't do that. Otherwise, you'd be reading it over Legos. That might be difficult. So, totally understand. Well, hopefully you brought your Bible then. Acts 17 and 28, and uh, Romans 8, 15 through 16. Those are going to be our two passages of Scripture. While you're turning to Acts 17 and 28, and uh, Romans 8, 15 through 16, uh, just want to say again uh, how thankful I am. I'm always thankful to have my beautiful wife with me. Amen. Uh, she just makes my life so much better. Amen. She's trying not to look up here so she doesn't get embarrassed. Amen. But she's awesome. And uh, she makes my life a whole lot better. Amen. And uh, give honor to your pastor, Pastor Hood, in case you're listening. Um, pastor Hood, don't, don't ditch me again. I'm just kidding. I just want to let that sit in if he's sitting there listening. I know he was tuning in Sunday. I'm totally joking. Amen. I'm giving him a hard time because he was telling me how bad he felt that he couldn't be here for these three revival services, which, of course, is no problem. We totally understand, uh, you know, when your pastor's a great preacher, people are going to ask him to go preach, and sometimes you have to share him. And especially when it's an in-law, then you really have to share him. Amen. Or he'd get in trouble. So, 
Amen. Uh, we appreciate him. Give him honor. Give his wife honor. And uh, we're looking forward. Hopefully our paths will cross again in the future. Hopefully we'll be able to come back and uh, just keep the party going. And until then, I know obviously that great, great revival, amen, is going to be poured out here in Carson City. Amen. There's so much potential. There's so much power. There's so much faith here, amen, in the house of God. And uh, I'm just excited. I really am excited about what God is doing in your city. I know it's my first time here. I'm glad I could just come in and take a peek and just see what God is doing. Amen. And uh, your pastor just texted me, do not, do not read your phone in church. But I saw his name pop up, so I just read it. He said, I'm listening. Ha ha. Very funny. With a lot of laughing emojis. So, and I think... I think he's texting me again right now, so I better stop. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm really going to get in trouble. Amen. Praise God. Okay, you're standing. I want to be mindful of your legs. So let's uh, read from Acts 17 and 28, which says this. It says, it's a beautiful scripture. For in him that is in Christ, we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. We are his kids. Amen. Are you thankful to be his kids? Amen. In him we live and move and have our being. Amen. Romans 8, 15 through 16. I'm going to read this quickly. Um, it says this, familiar passage of Scripture. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. How many are thankful that you are the children of God? How many are thankful that you can count yourself a child of God? Amen. And if you're here or if you're listening online and, and you have not yet entered into the kingdom by, by means of the gospel, and you have not yet perhaps been filled with the Spirit or baptized in Jesus' name, guess what? This message is still, still for you. It's still prophetic because God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. God wants you more than anything else to be one of his kids. So I'm preaching to God's kids tonight and I'm preaching to his future kids. And if you're going to help me preach, could you just lift up your hands and lift your voice? And one more time, let's just make sure every distraction is pushed out of the way. Let's make sure our hearts and minds are focused on him. Yes, even on a Wednesday. Wednesday night, where God, we're going to move every distraction aside. In Jesus' name, let your perfect will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in Carson City as it is in heaven. May there be a demonstration of the Spirit and power. God, may there be revelation and insight given and poured out in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and in Jesus' name we believe. If you believe that with me and you're hungry, why don't you put your hands together for Jesus? You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Amen. It is hardly a coincidence, in my opinion, that we refer to God as our Heavenly Father. There is hardly anything more vital and important to a single human being than the love and support of his or her father and mother. All of the statistics that we could read overwhelmingly demonstrate the positive impact on children when both parents are in the home, as well as the negative impact of a single parent home. In America especially, there is a major crisis of absent fathers.
Take one look around and you can realize that this is true. According to the 2017 U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. And that data represents children living without any father in the home. That means biological or a step or adopted father. So that staggering number would be even higher if we examine children who may have a step or adopted father in the home but do not have their biological father in the home. That 19.7 million would be even higher. Research also demonstrates that in the United States there are 2 million single father households versus 10 million single mother households. 2 million households where it's just the father running the show. 10 million households where it's just the mother taking care of things by herself. This clearly demonstrates the problem of absent fathers is far greater in number than the problem of absent mothers. The research also shows us that when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. This is just a few. That child can have a four times greater risk of poverty, a seven times risk of more likely to become pregnant as a teen, of course, if they're a young woman, two times more likely to drop out of high school, two times more likely to suffer from obesity, more likely than others to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, more likely to face abuse and neglect, and more and more and more. For years, kids and young adults have had to figure out on their own who they are, what they are capable of, and who they are supposed to be. To put it simply, due to the absence of fathers and parents in general, America is having an identity crisis. But in the text that we just read, Acts 17 and 28, we find that in God and in God alone, we live and we move and we have our being. Why? Because we are God's children. And that word being comes from the Greek word me. And this is the same word used in John 8, 58 when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I me, I am. So Jesus used this word, this word being, to declare his true identity. Just as our true identity, our I am, so to speak, is found only in God. I've come to remind somebody listening tonight that, that, that I can only come to my senses and I can only begin to find out and discover my true self only in God. Only in my heavenly Father can I live and move and have my being and have my reality. You will never know and understand who you are and know your identity outside of God. You will never come to, to terms with that identity crisis until you find yourself in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've just come to remind somebody listening that Jesus is still the identity. He's the answer to the identity crisis that is happening in our country. If you are here tonight and you've had an absent father or an absent mother or perhaps you had a father or a mother that you wish was absent because they didn't treat you the way they should, can I just remind you, you still can come to terms. You still can know who you are. You can still have an identity. You can still be at peace because no matter what your earthly father did or your earthly mother did, you still have a heavenly father that loves you, that cares for you, that's intentional about you, that came down to earth and died for you and me. 
Only in him, nowhere else, will I begin to understand my true self. And, and nowhere else and in no one else could I understand my own idiosyncrasies and my personalities and my tendencies towards this and tendency towards that. Only in God will I discover my I am. Only in God will I discover what is real and what is true. And can I just remind somebody, if you've gone looking anywhere else, maybe because you're tired or discouraged or your faith is lacking right now, if you go looking for anywhere else to find your identity and to find those answers and to find your being, you're only going to end up with heartache. You're only going to end up with pain. There's nothing and no one else that can truly help you understand who you are and why you are the way you are except for Jesus Christ. You're not going to find your true identity in a dating relationship. You're not going to find your true identity in addiction. You're not going to tr- find your true identity just working 80 hours a week to just not the pain. You're not going to find your true identity in entertainment. You're not going to find your true identity in money outside of God. You will never truly find your being. Only in Him, our Heavenly Father, do we live and move and have our being. Hallelujah. Only in Him can we come to know who we truly are. Can we come to know what we were created to be, what God has always intended us to be. And any time that we go outside of him, and any time we try to find that, that, that paternal security, any time we try to find uh, 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 and get security from, from anything other than our Heavenly Father, amen, and, 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 and the, the things that we will begin to see and experience and happen to us will be certainly less than ideal, amen. He is the only one that can help us understand ourselves and help us understand when we have those confusing thoughts and help us understand when we're wondering why we do the things we do and why we're still in the same position and maybe why we think the way we think and maybe why we have the fears that we have or stuck in the same cycle only in him will you come to terms with who you are and understand who God has always meant for you to be only in him and that's what I want to talk to us about tonight I want to talk to you about paternal security paternal security hey man I, I, I know that that the apostolic church the apostolic church has the revelation of who our father is I'm thankful for that revelation. I'm thankful that we know that our God is one and his name is Jesus. Amen. And, and I'm thankful that I, I, I know that, that uh, 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 he is the everlasting father. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace and his name is Jesus. I'm thankful that it's not names, amen, but it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it was said in Matthew 28, 19. And we know that name is Jesus. We could go on and on. We could spend six hours going through the word of God just talking about his oneness and, and that part of his identity. We could read Deuteronomy 6 and 4, the greatest command is understanding and knowing that God is indivisibly and undeniably one. We know this. Thank you, God, for giving us this revelation. So we know who our Father is. We know he's one. We know his name is Jesus. We know we need to be baptized in his name, just as all the people in the New Testament were if we are going to experience the same salvation that they have. We've got to be baptized in the same name they were baptized in. 
Amen. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, amen, God wants to give you that sweet experience. You have nothing to lose. Amen. We do not, I don't know why I'm getting on this, but we do not know better than what the apostles knew, the ones who walked and talked with Jesus and received direct instruction from him. We do not have a better plan or a better idea of salvation. If they all baptize in Jesus' name and were baptized in Jesus' name, then we must be baptized in Jesus' name as well. Amen. But I do think that the apostolic church sometimes lacks the revelation of where God is. We understand who he is, but do we understand where he is? I think sometimes we don't even question our theology or our, our, our thoughts of where God is. We just kind of say, well, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So he's just out there in the ether somewhere, and, and he's just, I don't know, he's just everywhere. That's probably our typical answer. And in thinking that, we can often think that, that because he's just, he's invisible and he's, he's unknown to some degree, that he's just out there in the ether somewhere, just out there in space, perhaps sitting on a distant throne somewhere in the cosmos. This is sometimes what we think if we're being honest. But saints, that is not where God is. Can I remind you where God is? In Romans 8, 10 through 11, the Bible tells us that God is in us, assuming, of course, that we have repented and received his spirit. Can I remind you that Matthew 28, 20 tells us where he is? It tells us that he is with us, and not only with us arbitrarily, but with us until the end of the age. I've come to remind somebody that we have to stop believing that our Heavenly Father is just out there somewhere in the distance, just out there somewhere in space, just kind of far and distant away from us. We have to understand that if we are his children, we have to remember that he is living in us, he is in us, and he is with us. we got to start getting some paternal security and realize who our daddy is and remember who our daddy is and also remember that he's not far from any one of us, but he's in us, he's with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He loves us. How great is the Father's love for us that he would lay down his life. Come on. We got to get some paternal security. We, 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 we can be so insecure and we can make so many mistakes out of insecurity and we can try to get security from security blankets and, and from money and from entertainment and this and that and we can try to barricade ourselves in and say, ah, I'm safe now. But really all we've built is just a little cardboard fortress. Amen. The safety that we need, the emotional, spiritual, mental safety and security is only going to come from God and it's going to come when we start realizing, no, he's not far from me. He's in me. He's with me. I've got more power than I realize. It's not just hyperbole when I say that greater is he that's in me than anything that's in the world. No, it's true. It's a promise. He's in me. His power's in me. That means I can rely on his strength. I can rely on his joy. I can rely on his security. I don't have to live in depression. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to stay in this place I'm in. I can get secure in who my daddy is. When we start believing, and I mean really believing, I don't mean just saying it every now and then, I mean believing, that means acting as if it were true. That's what real belief is. I mean, real belief is if someone, if someone speaks to you at 15 years old and says, someday you're going to become a preacher and you're going to travel overseas to preach the gospel, that 15-year-old real belief is not just saying, okay, I believe. 
What's real belief is that, that, that well, I guess you can't do it at 15, but as soon as you're of age, going down to the, to the nearest supermarket and getting your passport photo and ordering your passport, even though you have no tickets booked, no plans whatsoever to travel, but because God told you that you were going to travel overseas and be this preacher, you're going to put your, your money where God's mouth is, and you're going to go get that passport ahead of time. Why? Because you're acting as if what God said is going to come to pass. You say, that's a pretty random example. It's not too random because I know a preacher that did exactly that. And he got his passport years before he ever went overseas. But then the day came when he finally went overseas. And he was prepared, passport in hand, to go preach the gospel overseas. We've got to start acting, amen, as if, as if we, we trust and, and, and acting that what God said is true. And when we start believing that he's in us, he's with us, he's within us, then guess what? You truly will start to think and act differently. This is the power of belief. Amen. I know, I know that in order to be saved, amen, belief is just the starting point. And like we said, you have to act on that belief. If you believe that God came and died for your sins, there's some things you have to do. Amen. You have to repent of your sins. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Filled with his spirit, etc., etc. Amen. But there is also a reason why the Bible talks so much about belief. Amen. Because if we, just, if we just obey these things mindlessly without really belief, then later on in our walk with God, we're going to start hurting. If we, if, we, if we miss the very Sunday school foundations of our faith, which is that God loves us with all of his heart and that nothing will separate us from his love. Amen. And that, and that, that he, he, he died for us and he's not going to leave us nor forsake us and, and he'll be with us to the end of the age. Come on. This is your, your, your thinking right now. Yeah, I've heard this a million times. and I heard this since I was five years old in Sunday school. Yet the things that are often the most simple are the ones that we often forget and overlooked. And we think, no, it can't be that simple. Surely it's more complicated than that. Come on. Give us a deep theological exposition of this passage and this passage. No, I've just come to remind somebody again over and over that, yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. No, for the Bible tells me so. And when I start believing on that and really standing on that and really trusting that, I'm telling you, I will start to think differently. I will start to act differently. I will start to behave differently. I will be at more peace and I will have my sense of humor back and I'll be able to smile again when I start standing in the security of my heavenly Father. When I make up in my mind... Amen. That I'm going to refuse. I'm going to refuse to look at my heavenly father the way that I've, I've seen my earthly father or my earthly mother or an earthly example of authority. I, I, I refuse to look at my heavenly father through the lens that I had to look at my earthly authority when my earthly authority mistreated me, when my earthly father or mother was not there for me. I'm not, I, 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 it takes work and it's hard, but I'm going to take those lenses off and I'm going to start seeing my heavenly father for who he is. He's perfect and he won't do to me what other people did. I don't have to live in fear and distrust of him. I, I don't have to curl back away from him. I don't, no, 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 I don't, I don't have to fear or put my guard up and put my walls up to him and to his spirit. I don't care what anybody else has done. Your heavenly father's not going to do what they did to you. Amen. And even if your heavenly father or your earthly father or mother never showed up and they weren't there and they weren't around when you needed him, guess what? Your heavenly father will always be there when you need him. He'll always be around. He'll show up to pat you on the back. If you're listening well enough and if you'll believe, you might even hear his voice that says, son, I'm proud of you. Daughter, I'm proud of you. I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. Hallelujah. You say, well, that's all good and well, but, uh, 
but he's the perfect God, and he doesn't mess around with sin, and that's true. And, and preacher, I've made some mistakes, and preacher, I've sinned, maybe even recently, so I'm just not too confident in the security of my Heavenly Father right now. Amen. Maybe if I was perfect and if I was doing better, I'd feel, I'd feel better about my relationship. But I'm just not really where I want to be. And so surely there's no way God can be all that happy and all that pleased with me. Can I just remind you the story that was put in the Bible for a reason, for our benefit of the father and the prodigal son? And after the prodigal son damaged the father's house and after he took his money and took his estate and hurt his father and, and ended up in a pig pen and ended up with worldly friends and ended up blowing all the money and, 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 and breaking trust between him and his father and so on and so forth. Guess what? Guess what happened when he made the decision to run back to the father's house and run back to the father's arms? Come on, you know the story. There was the father on the front porch with his arms wide open, probably tears coming down his eyes, just happy and excited more than anything that that son was running back to the porch. Yeah, would there be consequences? Yeah, would they maybe have to talk later about how to work and get the money back and to make sure all the clothes were cleaned of the slop of the pig pen? Sure. Amen. But God, 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 that's easy for God. You, God, God was not worried. He was just glad more than anything that his son was back. And, and you don't read a few chapters later that after his son came back and he hugged him, then all of a sudden the father started getting dictatorial and started banging the hammer down and started saying, now we're really going to get to business. No, that never happened. The father kept on loving the son with the love that only the heavenly, heavenly father can give. Amen. And if you've made a mistake, you don't have to get perfect to get God. Just run to God and he'll make you perfect. He's there on the porch with his arms wide open. He just wants you close to him. He just wants you near him. He just wants to be with you and to commune with you. Come on, when we have security in who our Heavenly Father is, we don't, we don't let our sin or our mistakes and the enemy keep us from the prayer room. When we know who our Father is, even if, God forbid, we make some kind of mistake, we can trust and have enough security to say, you know what, I'm going right back to that prayer room. I'm getting on my knees because now is when I need prayer more than ever. If I've slept up, I've slipped up and I fall, now is when I need prayer more than ever. The enemy has been trying to keep some of you out of the prayer room and say, no, 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 you can't walk in there. That's a holy place. That's a hollowed place. And you've been doing dumb stuff and thinking dumb thoughts and making mistakes. You can't go in there. And so you'll go for a week. You'll go for two weeks without praying in your spiritual condition gets worse and worse. That's exactly what the enemy wants. You've got to push those lies out of your mind and say, no, I know what my heavenly father says about me. And I'm going to believe the report of the Lord, not the report of the enemy. I'm going to believe what my God says, what my father says, that I am more than a conqueror. So I'm going to get on the prayer room. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to conquer this issue with the help of God. Amen. Amen. We have to believe that he's truly not far from any one of us. Even when we sin, guess what? I know this might sound controversial to some of you. This might sound controversial to that part of us that wants to be so hard on ourselves and wants to take the whip and lash our own back. But guess what? He's still with you even when you sin. I know some of you don't really want to hear that. Maybe some of you online, you're scratching your head, but it's true. You're saying God is casual with sin? No, of course not. God is a perfect God. He hates sin. He, he has to. That's, that's part of being the definition of perfect. Amen. He doesn't, he doesn't like it. He doesn't enjoy it. Does it grieve him? Yes. It dishonors him, and it damages you. So, of course, he's displeased. He doesn't want to be dishonored, and he certainly doesn't want you to be hurt, and he sees what sin does to you. And I think that's what grieves him the most, is he sees what sin does 
does to his kids, and that's not what he wants for us. But just because, God forbid, we sin does not mean that the light has gone out and he's the, the switch has been flicked and all of a sudden he's gone and we've got to spend months or longer trying to somehow earn him and convince him to come back. That's not how this works. He is still with us. And he's ready to help us overcome our struggles, assuming, of course, that we repent. If we're willing to push past our pride, admit our wrongs, and repent, God will help us overcome anything. Anything. Brother Jonathan, I want you to help me with this really quickly. Hey, man, I should have a prop for this. This is going to be a silly prop, but just bear with me. Hey, man, you just stand right there where you are. And I'm going to put this between us, okay? And you're going to be God tonight. Hey, man, how's it feel? Amen. He's a humble man. He shakes his head and says, no, I don't want that job. You're smart. I don't want God's job either. Amen. I'd make a mess of it. He's playing God tonight, so to speak, and I am, I am me. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch saved by grace. Amen. And we, we, we have to, what I'm trying to preach about tonight is getting our perspective to shift. When we truly believe things, our perspective can start to change. I heard someone say one time that true effective preaching will throw the brain into debate with itself. I'm not saying that I'm some great preacher, but yes, I'll be honest, I am trying to throw your brain into debate with the lies that you believe, into debate with the preconceived notions that you've accepted that are not true. That's what preaching is all about. It better challenge us, change us, and convict us. So we need to get a different perspective. And so, so often our perspective, th- th- this is what our perspective is like, like often. It's, it's when we sin, let's, let's say I'm over here with God and things are going well, and then I sin and make a mistake. And this right here represents sin, okay? Everyone can see it. And all of a sudden now this sin is between me and God. And, of course, we do know that sin, obviously, in a sense, does separate us from God. That's why we must repent. We get that. We understand that. Amen. But we have this flawed perspective where God's over there and I'm over here. And here's my sin. And, 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 and now there's, let's just pretend this is a big garbage pile of sin. Let's pretend it's not a music stand, but a big garbage pile of sin. And now I've got this problem with it between me and God. And this is how we think. We think that, okay, now there's this pile of sin, and either I give up and just go live in sin, Or my other option is to tackle this mountain, to tackle this garbage thing of sin that I've created. And so here's what I have to do now. Now now I have to wrestle with this, and I have to move this, and I have to take one piece at a time and one piece at a time and just try to get this garbage, this, this bin out of the way. Well, and then what happens if I mess up? Well, then, of course, it starts coming back, and, and, then, and then my case is hopeless again. And this is really what we think, that we've got to do it on our own. We've got to get this whole pile, garbage, pin of sin, and then if we can move it aside by our own strength and efforts, then I can get back to God and say, isn't this great, God? I worked through it all. I cut through it, and now we're homies again. No, that's not how this works at all because what my Bible tells me is that he is with us, and of course, assuming we are born again, then he is in us. So instead, and if we're honest, if we really picture this in our minds, this is how most of us think. This, we, we really think that we have to just work and work, and if we mess up, think about it. That's why after you mess up, you know, if your prayer life was just one hour a day, well, if you mess up, now you're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray two hours a day for the next six weeks. I'm going to go on this long, long fast, right? 
And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but if we're not careful, we'll think that it's our own efforts and our own power and our own means that will get this out of the way. And that's not how it works. We will exhaust ourselves. We will be trying to win this battle through our own righteousness and through our own power and our own means. But our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's not how it works. Here's a better way to look at this. Come over here, God. Amen. A better way to look at this is instead of God on the other side of our sin, we need to understand that even when we sin, God is right here with us looking at our sin looking at our sin with us, and instead of being on the other side with folded arms, just thinking, okay, Brennan, come on, let's see how hard you can try. Let's see if you can get through this sin this time. <laughs> Good luck. No, God is right here with us, with his arm around us saying, hey, how can we work on this together? How can we fix this sin together? How can we overcome this problem together? I hate the sin, son, but I love you, and I'm working with you, and we're working together, and we're going to be side by side. We're going to be hand on hand, and we're going to kick this thing out of the way and destroy Destroy it together. This is how we must believe. This is how we must shift our perspective. Christ is not on the other side. God is not just out there somewhere. He is with us, next to us, ready to help us overcome our struggles. Oh, come on. This is good preaching even if I'm the one doing it. Even if it's just for one or two people. I hope somebody receives this and understands this tonight. He is on our side fighting with us, fighting for us, wanting to help us overcome. But as long as you think that you're doing it on your own and you've got to fight it on, on your own, then you will forever have a flawed perspective of God. You will forever be that hamster in the wheel wondering why you never feel satisfied, why you never feel happy or fulfilled. Because you, you can't do this on your own. And you've got to believe that even when you make your bed in hell, God forbid, I'm not justifying it, but that God is still there. Are there consequences? Of course. And God understands that there's consequences of sin, so why would he also heap a bunch of hatred on you? He knows that in his universe that he created, there are natural consequences. And when you break his laws, it, you're going to pay for it somehow. Why would he add insult to injury? Why would he throw something else on that pile? No, he says, okay, it's there, and, 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 and you stole, and now you're having to pay the fine. You, 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 you drove your, your car into another car, and here's the consequence, and you're already having to pay the fine, and you're already having to have it on your record, so why would I add more? No, I'm with you next to you, and son, my daughter, we are going to work on this together. I know this is just simple, just preaching tonight, preaching, teaching, amen, but, but, but I believe this is going forth and helping someone here and someone perhaps listening online, amen. If we have been filled with his spirit and if you have been washed by his blood in Jesus' name, then you are different. You say, well, I don't, I don't feel different. I mean, I did when I first went down in the water, and I did when I first spoke in tongues for weeks or months, and it felt great. But, but, but now, when it comes time to walk on the journey and be a mature Christian and, and put one foot in front of the other, I, I, I don't feel much different. And some, of the, some of the memories are coming back, and some temptations are coming back, and God, I don't think that I'm really all that different. That's a lie from the enemy. It's, it's, it, your actions will follow your beliefs. Your actions will follow the, what, what, what you choose to believe going on up here in your brain. No matter how you feel, the Bible says that we are transformed when we receive God, when we are saved. Our mind is transformed by the power of God. So you are not the same person you were before he came to dwell in you. No matter how wretched, no matter how messed up you might feel sometimes. It's not just hyperbole. It's not just Christian fanaticism or emotionalism. It's real. You are different. And once you start believing that you've been transformed, you will start acting like a transformed person. 
You've got to believe that you've been transformed. You've got to believe that he's living in you. You've got to close your eyes and picture that the, 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 the greatest thing, the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters in the beginning and that was poured out on Pentecost, that same Spirit is literally dwelling within you, within your spirit, and you are not the same person. You are a blood-bought, blood-washed, Jesus' name, one God, child of God, saved, transformed individual. And it's up to you to believe it. No one else can believe it for you. You say, this is so simple. Yes, it's so simple. But it's amazing how many people miss it. It's amazing. I've seen people in ministry, and I'm not, please, I, this is not, I'm not throwing a dagger at all. Because we all, all humanity is flawed and needs the Lord at all stages in life. Amen. But I've even seen people much older, people that are even in ministry, and at times they forgot these basic truths. And in time they were trying to fight the battle on their own. And there were times where they were exhausted and hurting because they forgot some of these basic truths that God loves them and God is with them and God is fighting for them. For those of us, if we really want to have paternal security and be secure in God and start being that mature Christian that God has always wanted us to be, not, not the Christian that's rocked by, by waves of doubt or, or by waves of fear or by trials that come and go, but a Christian that can stand strong and keep on walking in faith even when things are tough. A Christian that can have that security in God. Those are the kinds of people that believe Proverbs 3 and 5, which tells us trust, I'm not paraphrasing, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. With all. What does that mean to you? Is that just a scripture? Is that just a phrase that you've heard over and over? Is that just something you like to repeat or have put on the wall above your kitchen counter? Or is that something that you really apply, that you really believe, that you really walk in, that you trust the Lord with all of your heart and you're not leaning on your own understanding? Hallelujah. When you truly believe that he's with you, that he's in you, that he loves you, you can become secure in him, more secure in him. Amen. Hallelujah. In Genesis 32, and I'm, I'm moving quickly here, I'm, I'm nearing the end. Amen. In Genesis 32, we know that Jacob wrestled with God. For those of us that know the story, I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but he wrestled with God, and we know that by the time the encounter was over, his identity was changed. His name was changed to Israel, and consequently, his identity was changed as well. And one chapter later in Genesis 33, verses 1 through 4, guess what happened? The Bible says that Jacob embraced Esau. Now, who is Esau? Esau was his brother, but he was also his enemy. Esau was the one that was running after him, trying to kill him and destroy him. You say, what's the point here? Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that all this happened back to back that Jacob, Jacob went and ran to meet his brother right after he was wrestling with God. You see, Jacob, if I could propose this to you, was only able to embrace his enemy after he embraced God in his new identity. Jacob was only able to embrace Esau, his enemy, after he embraced God and embraced his new identity. There are some problems and trials and dark corners of our life that we may never be able to face until we embrace God, until we understand who He is and who we are in Him and who He is in us. And until then, until we embrace Him, until we become secure in Him, there's some things in our life that we may never be able to fix or to reckon with or to fight and to conquer and overcome. 
until we are secure in God and the new identity that he has for us. Only then can we embrace our enemy and right some wrongs and forgive some hurts and move past some things. Amen. You know, there is a difference between a physically blind person and a spiritually blind person. If you don't know what it is, let me tell you. The difference between a physically blind person and a spiritually blind person is that the physically blind person knows that he is blind. The difference between a physically blind person and a spiritually blind person is the physically blind person knows that he is blind. And can I just tell you, and I say this in complete love, that the term spiritually blind does not just refer to those who sin, to those who reject God or refuse to be a Christian or refuse to let go of pride. Of course, spiritually blind refers to those people. But could I propose to you that to a degree, spiritually blind people can also be wonderful, beautiful saints of God who are living in fear because they don't understand or believe God's unfailing love for them? Can I tell you that those people mean well, but they also are suffering from a case of spiritual blindness? Because they don't see themselves the way God wants them to see themselves through his eyes. They, 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 they don't understand or believe God's unfailing love for them. You can start to only truly know and find yourself once you believe with all your heart that God loved you enough to come to earth and fill your soul with his spirit. And again, if you've never received his spirit tonight and you've never had that experience of speaking other tongues, you can. I'm preaching to you too because God wants you to receive it even more than you want it yourself. And when you truly believe what I am preaching, you will receive a revelation of your value, of your purpose, of meaning, and your identity. Only in him do we live and move and have our being. There are far too many people that, that miss this, and, and we find this all throughout Scripture, people that don't realize who their daddy is or they've forgotten who their daddy is. What, we could go back all the way to the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And we know that they wanted to be like God. And this is what the serpent tempted them and, and said that you could have this. And they wanted to be like God. But they so quickly forgot that they were already made in the image of God. They already had what, the Satan, what Satan was offering them. But because they forgot who their daddy was, they made the deal with the devil. Because they didn't have that paternal security. What, what, what about Israel, the people of God? We know that for, for, for a long time they were begging for a king. They wanted a king. They wanted a king. They wanted a king. Come on, God, give us a king. We want to be like these other nations around us. We want a king. But my God, they forgot who their dad was. They forgot that they already had the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and they didn't need some earthly man sitting on a throne to guide them. They forgot who their daddy was. They let go of that paternal security that only God can give, and look what happened to them. What about Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness? Everything that Satan offered Jesus, Jesus already possessed. And if Jesus again in the flesh, we know he was fully God and fully man, if Jesus in the flesh forgot who he was, 
perhaps he would have made a deal that would not have been profitable and right. Amen. But because was Jesus was fully God and fully man, because Jesus in the flesh knew who he was, he knew his identity, he knew that he was the God-man, God robed in flesh. He remembered who he was and who his father was, so to speak. He, he knew what he possessed. He knew, amen, that he was not just a man, but the one spirit of God was within him and possessing him. And because he had this knowledge, he was able to make it through that temptation in the wilderness. He refused to do business with the devil. And if we don't know who we are, and if we don't know who our daddy is, and if we forget it, then we might, we might just get tempted to start doing business with the devil because we might want to start getting our security from him. No, 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 honey. Just remember your security, all that you need, all that you could ever want and desire is only in the hands and the arms of God. You don't have to go to anyone else. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to beg for a king. You don't have to listen to that snake. Everything that you need is already found in the hands and in the arms of your God and Savior. I wonder if the musicians can come. Amen. According to neuroscientist Richard Cox, he says faith literally changes our brain. It's not just hyperbole when we, when we read that our minds can be transformed by the power of God. It's true. Our brains Literally, if you look at them under an x-ray machine, they can morph and change under the power of God. They can change when we start believing the truth of God and his word. This is what he says. Richard Cox says, a mind transfixed, a mind transfixed on something undergoes literal change. A mind that's full of faith on something, whether it's good or bad. Faith in the positive or faith in the negative, your brain will literally start changing according to what your mind is focused on. If we can consistently fix our minds on God and our identity in Him, then our minds will be transformed. If we focus on where our help comes from, what does it say in Psalms 121 and 1? I will look to the hills from where my help comes from. You know the problem with some of us and why we feel like we just can't move forward? is because we're too busy focused on where our hurt comes from instead of on where our help comes from. And all we can see is the, the spot or the area where our hurt comes from and we've forgotten where our help comes from. But if we can focus our eyes on the hills and see where our help comes from instead of on where our hurt comes from, we can grow and change and be transformed. If we can look past the pain and the bitterness and the things that other people have done to us and the things that we've done to ourselves, and focus our eyes on those hills, we can start being healed and changed. You see, thinking like a son and thinking like a daughter is not just hyperbole. Thinking like a son and thinking like a daughter of God is not just, not just some cute sermon. It's real, it's spiritual, and it's scientific even. That's how powerful this is. That's how powerful your thoughts are. That's how powerful your faith or your lack thereof is. Amen. I know this is meat and potatoes tonight. But if this could help someone like me, if this could help a wretch like me, it can help anybody else. Do you say, why? Why is this important, preacher? Because listen, there are far too many blood-bought, spirit-filled Christians who are living in the Father's house physically, but still living in the pig pen mentally. They have a father's house reality, but a pig pen mentality. And it's because they do not have a revelation of their salvation. If we do not realize who we are and who we have living within us, if the apostolic doesn't 
the apostolic church doesn't wake up and start really believing that greater is he that is within us, then guess what? We will forever live like spiritual orphans. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not dogging anybody that is a literal orphan here tonight whatsoever. Please, please know that to some degree I can, I, I, I get it, I can understand and, and, and just understand this next statement. Orphans do all they can to just survive. And understandably so. They have to. That's what happens when you're put out on the street by yourself. But a son and a daughter, they don't just survive, they thrive. Orphans do all they can to just survive and make it through another day, but sons and daughters thrive. Spiritual orphans just drag themselves through their faith and through the church and, and wondering if they'll ever make it to the next day or ever have the blessing or the peace that the preacher talks about. But sons and daughters and people who have that reality, they, they thrive. They thrive. They, 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 they know that I'm not just going to barely make it through this. I'm, I'm going to start walking in abundance. I'm going to start walking in liberty. I'm going to start walking in the blessing that God has provided for me. So I'm talking to some sons and daughters who need to get some paternal security. And, and, and we all need a refresher of this sometimes. And we need to start trusting our heavenly daddy. We need to get out of the mental pig pen and realize how safe we really are in the arms of our loving father. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And even when you're confused, as all get out. You know, can I tell you that there's one thing that's worse than intense pain, and that's intense confusion. I don't even know why I'm saying that. I'll just, just let that land wherever it wants to land. There's something that's worse than just, just pain. You know, if you have pain, but you know what's causing the pain, then at least you can deal with the pain, attack the pain, manage the pain. But if you don't know where the pain's coming from, if you can't figure it out, if you're confused as to what on earth is going on, that's a lot worse than just pain itself. And can I remind someone that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace? When you come to know your heavenly Father and come to know him more and strive to know him more and know his word more, you can break through that confusion. You can hear his voice in a prayer room or you can hear his voice at an altar call or through his word speaking to you and cutting through that confusion. In him, you can live and move and have your reality and have your being and, and, and get out of that confusing mental, that pig pen that you've lived in. Amen. God wants to deliver some of us from confusion and, 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 and from, and from just, just torment. He wants us to understand who we are in him, that he loves us. And I'm going to make this one final point, and I know I'm, I'm going a little bit longer. We're going to stand in just a minute, but I need to say this tonight. This is my last service, so after I do this, amen, if I, if I go too long, I can just put the mic down and run away, and Brother Hood will have to come back Sunday and clean it up and fix it. Amen. So let me just say this in Genesis 50, 15 and 1. I'm going to give you one more example of the importance of paternal security. I'm going to paraphrase this passage because it's too long to just read uh, outright. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. We know the story of Joseph. For those of you that don't know the story of Joseph, to make a long story short, Joseph had a lot of dreams. His family did not support his dreams. They hated him for his dreams. They were jealous because of his dreams. Amen. And so in, in a nutshell, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery, and they took his garments, they chopped them up, put, put blood on them, and took it back to their father and said that Joseph is dead. So that way they would, they would make sure that Joseph's dad wouldn't go on a manhunt for him, because if he thought he was dead, well, then that's it, that's over. And so Joseph goes to a faraway land, and we, we know that most of us know the story. I don't want to belabor the point. And Joseph goes through these trials, and he becomes this great leader. 
right? He, 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 he becomes responsible for saving his family's life and saving the, the life of at least two entire nations, I'm sure more. He becomes, God gives him this great favor and authority, and it never would have happened had he not been thrown into the pit, had his brothers not done what they'd done. But the problem is, is that there were years away from his family and years away from his father. And he loved his family, and he certainly loved his father. And, and, and even though there was blessing, and even though he had a great position, don't tell me that there weren't days where he didn't sit there and wonder how dad was doing. Don't tell me there weren't days in that jail cell where he didn't weep and cry and wonder if daddy was still alive and wonder why on earth he had to be put through this and why on earth his brothers had to do him so bad when all he wanted was love from them. You can't tell me. He was human. Don't tell me he didn't have those thoughts. And so now after all of this, after this, this beautiful, amazing story, if you've never read it, please go read it. Amen. Uh, now Joseph and his brothers are, are reunited. And Joseph, after long, many years, he got to see his brothers again. And he got to see his father again. But he did not have much time with his father. Because now his father in Genesis 50 had fell dead. And, 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 and Joseph, all those years that he could have had with his father when he was living, they were robbed from him. And so now he, here he is in Genesis 50, 15 through 21, and, and, and Joseph's dad is dead. And, and, and he's sitting there, I'm sure, thankful for some remaining time that he got with his dad, but probably wondering, man, I could have had all those years. But here I was in a foreign land trying to handle another man's affairs when all I wanted was to be with my family. So the Bible says in this passage when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge and wants to repay us in full for all the harm we did to him? Again, I'm paraphrasing. So they sent word to Joseph, and, and, and they said, basically, your father gave us these instructions before he died. You know, dad, dad said this, Joseph. Dad said, tell Joseph this. Quote, please forgive the sin of your brothers and the wrong they did when they treated you so badly. Now please forgive the sin of the servants of the God of your father. The Bible says when this message was reported to him, Joseph wept. His brothers had already been forgiven. Joseph had already demonstrated in multiple ways his forgiveness towards them. Guess what? We don't have any record of Joseph's father actually telling the boys to send this letter to Joseph. We don't have any record of him actually saying this. And in my opinion, my view is that Joseph's father never said this at all. But Joseph's brothers were still up to their old tricks and out of fear and out of guilt now that dad was dead and now they've, uh, they were afraid that one unifying factor was gone, now they were afraid Joseph was going to turn on them and use his power against them. So once again, they responded in fear. They started conniving. They started deceiving just like they had always done. And they said, daddy said to tell you this when daddy never said that at all. So now Joseph is here weeping. And then the Bible says his brothers also came and threw themselves down before him. They said, here we are, we are your slaves. But Joseph answered them and said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil. You meant to harm me. But God intended it for good so he could save or preserve the lives of many people, as you can see this day. And then he says this to his conniving, cheating, fearful brothers sitting there around daddy's funeral. He says, so now don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little children. The Bible says, then he consoled them and spoke kindly to them. Let me break this down very quickly. Joseph was a type of Christ. We know this. Joseph wept when his brothers didn't believe that he had forgiven him. He wept when he saw that they were still lying, conniving, and feeling fearful, even though they had already been forgiven. And Christ also weeps when we do not accept his forgiveness. And when we still live in fear and guilt, 
He also weeps when we still lie and cheat and do sinful things out of insecurity when he has already offered us forgiveness, peace, and security. It breaks the heart of God when we try to manipulate and try to convince him to do something for us that he has already offered us. However, Joseph was not just a type of Christ. He was also a man just like you and I. And I, I can't imagine what he must have felt in that moment. Can I remind you just really quickly? I really am this close to being done. He, he, he was a man. He was human. He had emotions. He had, he had insecurities. He, you see, in this moment, Joseph, I believe, he had to give away the thing that he wanted the most. In this moment at dad's funeral, he had to give away the thing that he really deserved, not his brother's. You see, the Bible says he spoke kindly to them. He consoled them. He reassured them and said, I'll provide for you. Don't you think that the one that was thrown into a pit and left for dead and didn't get to see his dad for years, don't you think that he at his dad's funeral should have been the one to have someone come up to him and pat him on the back and reassure him and speak kindly to him and say, we're sorry, Joseph, and we know we can never fix this, but we'll do whatever we can. We love you. We're here for you. Don't you think Joseph was the one in that moment that deserved some consolation? but he got none and said he had to give the thing that he wanted the most he had to give the love and the reassurance that I'm sure in that moment he was probably extremely wanting himself and really he deserved and his brothers did not because his identity was anchored Joseph's expectations could be altered and you see Joseph was secure in who his heavenly father was and even though the pain was more than he could explain, I believe Joseph cared more about making peace than getting what he needed and deserved, which was affirmation and reassurance. Because of his, his, his sinful brother's lack of capacity, Joseph could not possibly receive what he wanted. But because of Joseph's capacity, he could give away the very thing that he himself desired. You see, in order to give something, you have to possess it first. And his brothers could not give what Joseph needed and wanted because they did not possess it. But because Joseph was secure in God, he could give away the very thing that he wanted most from them. And he may have spent all those years away from his earthly father. But in those times in the jail cell and in those times when he was accused of adultery and those times in the pit and those lonely times in the palace, Joseph was increasingly becoming more secure with his heavenly father. He was increasingly developing a deeper relationship with his heavenly father. So when the time came when his earthly father had passed and his brothers were lying and stealing again, when Joseph could have really used a pat on the back and could have really used some love, but he wasn't getting it because he had paternal security, because he knew who his daddy was, he was able to look at those lying, stealing brothers and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. And I'll take care of you. And I'll take care of you and your kids. You see, when we are likewise secure in God, we can walk into the darkest of places and be a light, even when it's extremely difficult. We can give to those who should have been giving to us. Do you understand? When we are secure in God, we, we, can, we can give away some things, some love, some affirmation, some kindness to the people that we have always craved those things from, but we never got it growing up. And we're not getting it now. 
When we're secure in God, we can have the strength not to be manipulated, not to be taken advantage of, but to give the things that we were never given. When we're secure in God, we can love others even though no one ever loved us growing up. When, when we're secure in God, we, we can have a peaceful home and a peaceful household and have a healthy marriage even though that was never demonstrated or given to us. When we are secure in God, we can give money away and give kindness away and give forgiveness away even though nobody ever gave that to us growing up. We can love others knowing that we may receive nothing in return. We can serve others knowing that we may receive nothing in return. We can give love away to those that we crave love from, who really we deserve it from, but have never given it. When we are secure in God, we can accomplish these things. We can do these things. We can, we can walk into those dark places that need to be conquered in our life, and we can say, yes, I forgive you even though all you did to hurt me. Yes, I still love you. Yes. I'm still praying for you. And yes, I'm still going to be a good person. Yes, I'm not going to live like my earthly examples. And yes, I'm not going to repeat the mistakes of my parents because I have a heavenly father that's a better example and I'm secure in him. I don't have to live the rest of my life with quote unquote daddy issues or mommy issues or earthly parent issues when I'm secure in who my heavenly father is. When I understand that I have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but I have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When I understand that the spirit itself bears witness with our hearts that we are the children of God. When I understand that he's my father and I'm his child, the possibilities are infinite. And true divine healing can begin to take place. I want us to stand. I'm done. I went way longer than I intended. Hallelujah. 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 I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Amen. Oh, I wonder if we could just pray right now. I'm done preaching. Can we just pray right now? If you're listening online, amen, and God has spoken to you, please don't just turn the recording off and go continue going about your evening. Please take some time to pray. If there's some things that God has been trying to help you deal with, whether it's loving the unlovable, forgiving the quote-unquote unforgivable, whether it's forgiving somebody that, that, that wronged you, whether it's, whether it's stepping out of the fear zone and stepping out of that box that somebody created for you, stepping out of that insecurity, stepping out of the limitations that people put on you in the past and start believing what your Heavenly Father says about you. Whatever it is, whatever your situation, however God may have talked to you tonight, would you lift your hands and would you begin to talk back to Him? Would you begin to respond to Him? Come on. If you need some more paternal security, come on. Come on, God, I want to know who I am in you. I, 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 I don't want to doubt this. I don't want to be confused about this anymore. Help me to trust that you love me. Help me to trust that you'll never leave me. Help me to trust that you know what's best for me. Help me not to lead on my own understanding. Come on, can we do that right now? Let's lift our hands and pray. These altars are open if you want to pray down here. If you want to pray in your seat, just do whatever you're comfortable with. I know this is different tonight. Amen, but let's just take some time to pray. Come on, however God has spoken to you, whatever way, shape, or form, come on, just talk back to him. Thank him for speaking to you. Come on, you're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. You're a son. You're a daughter. 
And if you've never yet been saved, you don't have to be that orphan. You don't have to be far. Amen. You can come to this front and you can be filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, amen, you can make that decision. It's simple. We can arrange that and you can step into the spiritual kingdom of God and be one of his eternal kids. Come on. That's it. That's it. That's it. Oh, hallelujah. Brother Jonathan's going to sing. We're just going to take some time to pray. Come on, if you need a miracle, if you need healing from bitterness, if you've got unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness in your heart, if you've got anger and frustration that you can't seem to shake, please, this altar is here for you tonight. There's a God that loves you and wants to help you, and would you just try him? Come on. Come on, some of us are afraid about what will happen if the dam starts to break, if the wall starts to break. Don't be afraid, just let it happen. Come on, let the tears flow and let him rend your heart and let him do what he wants to do. Come on, these altars are open. If you've never been filled or it's been a long time since you've had that experience because you've been living in fear or bitterness, come on, this message is for you tonight. This altar is for you tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. Hallelujah. Come on, whatever you need, just reach out to him. We worship you. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you. Oh, we're going to worship you, God. That's what we're going to do. That's what we come to do. Oh, I'm going to praise him right now. Even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't understand, God is good. He's never left me. He's in me. He's with me. Come on, I came to church tonight because I needed something. Hallelujah. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. We worship you. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's what we've come to do. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, that's it. If you need the Holy Ghost, would you lift your hands, close your eyes, just repent of your sins, begin to worship, and God will fill you. The Heavenly Father will come down and fill your heart tonight. Come on, if you don't even really know what it's like to have a deep, personal relationship with the God of heaven. He wants to start that with you tonight. He wants to have one with you. Would you just try him? Would you just try talking to him? Would you just see what happens when you say, God, I love you. God, I need you. God, I'm putting you to the test. Yes. Into the holy of Come on, we're going to pray for a few minutes. Come on, God's doing something right now. God's doing something right now. That's it. Come on, he's here. He's here. He's here. Into the holy of holies. That's where I want to be. Into the holy of holies. Oh, that's where. Thank you. 
the whole 